0: Hello, this is A-Minder, my name is Jacques and in this episode I'll be going through September 2020's papers centred on APP processing and amyloid beta aggregation in Alzheimer's disease. September 2020? Yeah, we're a little bit behind, we're aiming to start anew in February. In the meantime, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays! This is my gift to you podcasters, an episode chock full of papers bound to provide you with a new perspective on Alzheimer's disease mechanisms, as well as being the perfect excuse to slip away from the family. I've grouped the papers into three sections. First, we'll explore the immune element of the amyloid precursor protein and its processing, before moving on to the papers on amyloid beta aggregation and fibrillogenesis, and finishing with observations of Alzheimer's disease pathology. There's quite a range of topics and techniques mixed into this one, so if anything catches your attention, check out our numbered bibliography. Don't worry if you forget the paper's details, just try and remember the number, Stay tuned. Welcome to A Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. a bit of a longer episode, 14 papers in total. We'll have a break after the first mini section on APP and inflammation, and the next 6 papers on APP amyloidogenic processing. And then we'll follow it up with 4 papers on fibrillogenesis, and the last 2 on aggregates seen in Alzheimer's disease brain tissue. Alright, let's jump into it. Our first paper is titled Pharmacological inhibition of amyloidogenic APP processing and knockdown of APP in primary human macrophages impairs the secretion of cytokines, by first author Spitzer and last author Maller, and is published in Frontiers in Immunology. Despite their implication in Alzheimer's disease, the amyloid precursor protein and amyloid beta peptides have instrumental functions in the immune response. APP serves as an immune receptor engaging the innate immune response, whilst amyloid beta displays antimicrobial properties and can act as an opsinin, serving to enhance phagocytic activity. Studies have shown that macrophages from APP knockout mice release less cytokines, but it is unclear whether this is due to the absence of APP or the loss of amyloidogenic processing. To address this, the authors explored the effect of reduced amyloid beta generation by inhibiting beta and gamma secretases and knocking down APP in primary human monocyte-derived macrophages. They then measured the secreted levels of interleukins and tumor necrosis factor alpha, and the resultant phagocytic activity of the macrophages. Both APP-deficient and secretase-inhibited macrophages release less interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha than their controlled counterparts, and significant reductions in interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha were observed upon exposure to lipopolysaccharide, LPS. Interestingly, beta and gamma secretase inhibitors increased interleukin 10 release, but their levels were decreased in response to LPS. Despite the observed differences in cytokines, the authors detected no differences in phagocytic activity. They conclude that both amyloid beta and APP are involved in the initiation of innate immunity possibly by modulating the release of tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6, and interleukin-10 from these peripheral macrophages. This paper is more immune-focused, so if that interests you, keep an eye out for the episodes released in, well, we're going to release in early January. On to paper number two, titled... Neuron-specific deletion of presenilin-enhancer 2 causes progressive astrogliosis and age-related neurodegeneration in the cortex, independent of not signaling. The first offer is Bi, and the last offer is Hugh. It's available in the journal CNS Neuroscience and Therapeutics. Mutations in presenilin-enhancer 2, or PEN2, are associated with familial Alzheimer's disease. PEN2 is a crucial subunit of the gamma-secretase complex, providing catalytic activity for the processing of amyloid precursor protein, (APP) and NOTCH. Despite its interactions with APP and NOTCH, which have roles in inflammation and immunity, uncertainty surrounds PEN2's role in inflammation and survival. To address this, the authors generated two lines. The first, a conditional forebrain PEN2 knockout mouse line. The second, the same line as the first but differing by conditional expression of Notch-1's intracellular domain in cortical neurons. PEN2 knockout elicited cortical neuron loss and widespread inflammation characterised by astrogliosis and microgliose. Surprisingly, the expression of Notch's intracellular domain in the second mouse line did not rescue the observed atrophy or inflammation. The authors conclude that PEN2 knockout elicits neurodegeneration independent of notch, and that PEN2 has functions indispensable for survival. So, that was our mini section on APP and the immunity or inflammation. These next six papers really narrow into APP processing, with a particular focus on beta secretase. Alright, paper three, titled Generation of a Human Induced Pluripotent Stem Cell Line, UEFI3A carrying heterogeneous A673T variant in amyloid precursor protein associated with reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease. It's by first author Rolova and last author Litonin. It's published in Stem Cell Research. The rare amyloid precursor protein, ABP, A673T mutation is one of few APP variants protective against Alzheimer's disease and age-related cognitive decline. This mutation reduces the amyloidogenic processing of APP and thus reduces amyloid beta accumulation. The authors isolated fibroblasts from skin explants of a non deceased male heterogeneous for the APP A673T mutation. Using a Sendai virus line, they reprogrammed the human fibroblasts to an induced pluripotent stem cell phenotype which had no chromosomal alterations and could differentiate into all primary germ layers the ectoderm, the endoderm, and the mesoderm. While the authors didn't actually state any conclusions, I think this mutant cell line may allow us to study APP signaling and the effects of dysfunctional processing and low amyloid beta levels on cell viability. On to paper 4, titled Targeting Increased Levels of APP in Down syndrome. Porcephene-mediated reductions in APP and its products reverse endosomal phenotypes in the TS65 Down syndrome mouse model. The first author is Chen, and the last author Mobley, published in the journal Alzheimer's and Dementia. The failure of clinical trials targeting amyloid beta and tau for Alzheimer's disease point to an insufficient understanding of their interplay in disease pathogenesis. Down syndrome individuals have a triplicated chromosome 21 in full, or at least in part. The amyloid precursor protein gene resides on chromosome 21, and its triplication may predispose Down syndrome patients to an early-onset Alzheimer's disease, suggesting a toxic role of APP in Alzheimer's disease. This may be due to increased expression of APP and its C99-beta-secretase cleavage fragment, which are implicated in endosomal lysosomal system defects and dysregulated neurotrophin signalling. The authors postulate that this triplication increases APP and the beta-secretase cleavage C99 fragment, which initiates Alzheimer's disease due to loss of neurotrophic signals mediated by endosomal lysosomal trafficking defects. The authors treated Down syndrome TS65DN mice and primary cortical neurons derived from them with small molecule posiphene to explore the effects of reduced APP in the context of Trisomy 21. Just a side note, Posifen is a small molecule found to reduce APP levels. The in vitro and in vivo results were largely concordant and showed reduced levels of both full-length APP and C99 and slightly reduced amyloid beta levels rescued RAB5 hyperactivity and deficits in retrograde endocytosis and normalized anterograde neurotrophin signaling. In addition, in the Down syndrome TS65DN mice, they also found reduced tau phosphorylation, increased choline acetyltransferase levels, reversed growth pathway deficits and no adverse behavioral phenotypes. The authors encourage further work into the association of APP with Alzheimer's disease like dementia and Down syndrome, and suggest the possible efficacy of reduced APP levels as a treatment approach. This is an interesting hypothesis, and though it's quite specific to Down syndrome, it does have broader implications. A greater appreciation of APP will enable us to discern its role in dementia. Look live. It's paper five, titled "Mitochondrial TXN2 Attenuates Amyloidogenesis via Selective Inhibition of Base One Expression." The first author is Li, The last author Chen. Published in the journal Neurochemistry. Mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative stress are implicated in Alzheimer's disease. The mitochondrial protein thioredoxin two (TXN2) serves as an antioxidant, counteracting oxidative stress suggesting a role for FI2 in Alzheimer's disease pathogenesis. The authors overexpressed human APP in HEC293 and Sushi cells, or SHSY5Y cells, and assessed the effects of silencing and overexpressing TXN2 on pathology and cell viability. TXN2 showed close regulation of base 1, its silencing increased base 1 expression, while its overexpression decreased the levels of base-1 and the amyloid beta peptides. The authors then used oxidative stress inducer 3 nitropropionic acid to promote the formation of reactive oxygen species in the cells. In TXN2-silent cells, the reactive oxygen species generated were exacerbated, base-1 transcription upregulated and cell viability reduced, confirming TXN2's role as an antioxidant. The authors revealed a role of TXN2 in the NF-kappa-beta pathway, as TXN2 regulated Base 1 levels and reduced the phosphorylation of P65 and I-kappa-b-alpha, an effect which could be abrogated by P65 knockdown. Unsurprisingly, they also found that levels of TXN2 in ABP-PS1E9 mice decreased with age after 6 months suggesting that early treatment stabilising its levels may have beneficial effects for Alzheimer's disease. You know, I knew about the interplay between NF-kappa-beta signalling and base-1 expression, but I didn't really know that it was so closely related to reactive oxygen species, so this is some really interesting research. If this interests you too, check out the full paper online. On to paper 6 titled, Adenosine triphosphate binding cassette subfamily C-member 1, ABCC1, overexpression reduces Amyloid precursor processing and increases alpha Versus beta secretase activity in vitro. It's by first author Jepsen and last author Houtelma, available in Biology Open. Studies in Alzheimer's disease mice show that the multidrug resistance protein 1, MRP1, also known as ABCC1, fluxes amyloid beta from the blood brain barrier endothelium to the blood. As such, stimulating ABCC1 activity has been touted as a mechanism of reducing amyloid plaque deposition in the brain. The authors show that ABCC1 can both efflux amyloid beta and upregulate the relative non-amyloidogenic processing of APP by alpha secretase against beta secretase to reduce amyloid beta generation. The authors suggest that MRP1 regulates all three secretases, alpha, beta and gamma to achieve this outcome. Stairway to 7 it's paper 7, it has a long title so bear with me, here goes. Behavioural and neural network abnormalities in human APP transgenic mice resemble those of APP knock-in mice and are modulated by familial Alzheimer's disease mutations but not by the inhibition of BASE-1. Written by first author Johnson and last author Mook. Published in Molecular Neurodegeneration. The failure of Alzheimer's disease clinical trials targeting secretases has been mystifying perhaps suggesting that we're misdefining the roles of amyloid precursor protein and its peptide metabolites in disease. The authors aimed to explore the functions of these proteins in greater detail. To explore the effects of base 1 inhibitors on mouse phenotype and pathology, the authors took to three murine lines. Mice overexpressing wild-type human APP, mice overexpressing human familial AD mutant APP, and mice who have knocked in familial AD mutants and a humanized amyloid beta sequence. The levels of APP metabolites and amyloid pathology varied greatly between the three murine groups. However, all three showed cognitive deficits and developed epilepsy-like phenotypes akin to those seen in human Alzheimer's disease. Though BASE1 inhibitors lowered the levels of APP metabolites, it had no effect on these phenotypes even when administered prior to amyloid-beta aggregation. The authors conclude that base-1 inhibitors and aggregation modulators may be insufficient in addressing the complex interactions underpinning Alzheimer's disease. Okay, paper 8, the last one before we take a little break. It's titled Circular RNA-encoded amyloid-beta peptides, a novel putative player in Alzheimer's disease. It's by off and Mo and last author, Brosius is published in Cells. Amyloid beta peptides can be produced by the amyloidogenic cleavage of the amyloid precursor protein, APP. In familial Alzheimer's disease, dysregulated APP processing may increase amyloid beta generation, but it is unclear how amyloid beta is produced in sporadic Alzheimer's disease. The authors explored the roles of circular RNAs, RNAs, RNA transcripts prominent in the brain and implicated in neurodegenerative diseases. They identified one circular RNA called circ-amyloid beta-alpha which encodes amyloid beta and was prevalent in brain tissue from both Alzheimer's disease individuals and non-demented controls. The authors showed that both in brain tissues and cells, this circ-amyloid beta-alpha transcript could produce a long peptide termed Amyloid- beta175, which could be cleaved to yield amyloid-beta peptides. The authors conclude that the backsplicing of APP RNA can generate new amyloid-beta peptide variants, such as amyloid- beta175, which may constitute novel targets for Alzheimer's disease therapeutics. For me, this is one of those papers where you've suspected as much, but it's just nice to see the research being done, as it explains a lot. It would be great to see more research in this area in the future. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, so take time to refresh, reflect, and relax. Hey listeners, I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed the music, just 6 papers left, 4 on amyloid beta fibrillogenesis and 2 on the resulting pathology in Alzheimer's disease. Our next paper, paper 9, introduces a different approach to investigating fibril formation. It's titled, Network Hamiltonian Models Reveal Pathways to Amyloid Fibril Formation. It's by first or for you, and last or for buts published in Scientific Reports. The structure of amyloid fibrils involved in neurodegenerative diseases continue to fill online databases, including the Protein Data Bank. Despite the wealth of information available, clinical trials targeting fibrils across neurodegenerative diseases remain unsuccessful thus far. The toxicity of oligomers may confound this issue. Are they an intermediate in the fibrillogenesis pathway? or do they represent separate entities in competition with fibrils? A Hamiltonian model published recently simulates fibrillogenesis, offering great insight into the aggregation process, from free monomers to fibrillar aggregates. The authors adapted this model to apply it to the five experimentally obtained fibril topologies described in the protein databank. The authors added network statistical and topological framework to quantify and discern the pathways and phases associated with formation of each fibril topology. Different parameters were associated with the various amyloid fibril structures known to us to help model the pathways leading to their formation from free floating monomers. The authors conclude that the model grates our understanding of the phases governing fibril formation and unveils areas for future research. Really cool paper, and very surprising how many different mechanisms produce a similar outcome. I think we need more research like this, interdisciplinary approaches bringing a new, fresh perspective to a common issue. Anyway, on to paper 10, titled Computational Insights into Binding of Monolayer Capped Gold Nanoparticles on Amyloid Beta Fibrils. The first author is Tavanti, and the last author is Alexander Katz. It's published in ACS Chemical Neuroscience. Amyloid beta fibrils are seen in many neurodegenerative diseases and are the subject of many preclinical studies for Alzheimer's disease. This isn't mentioned in the abstract, but a lot of research suggests that gold nanoparticles can interact with amyloid fibrils, but we're lacking detail into the interactions at work here. The authors take a molecular dynamics approach to discern whether monolayer capped gold nanoparticles interact with amyloid beta 40 and 42 fibrils, and the potential of drug delivery to distinct fibril zones. They found that the hydrophobic external face of the fibrils facilitates conformation-dependent interaction with the monolayered gold nanoparticles, as this hydrophobic external face is involved in fibrilogenesis. The authors conclude that these monolayer-capped nanoparticles can both impede fibrillogenesis and secondary fibril nucleation, and offer a means of targeting drugs to distinct fibril zones. And here's paper 11, Nanoscale Hyperspectral Imaging of Amyloid Secondary Structures in Liquid, written by first-author Lipiek and last-author Zenobe. It's published in Chemie, the international edition in English. Apologies if I that. Our understanding of the amyloid beta aggregation pathway remains incomplete, perhaps due to limitations in experimental techniques. The authors adopt a tip-enhanced Raman spectroscopy approach TERS, to uncover the structure of amyloid beta peptides and aggregates. TERS indicated two distinct amide bands of amyloid beta, which the authors associated with the structure of aggregates in the primary nucleation phase. And peptides absorbed to the existing fibrils in secondary nucleation. The authors' results also agreed with previous findings, demonstrating a rearrangement of antiparallel beta sheets and protofibrils to the parallel structure associated with mature fibrils. The authors provide a greater understanding of the structural changes and mechanisms behind aggregation in Alzheimer's disease and suggest studies adopt hers for other neurodegenerative diseases. I've been excited by TERS for quite a while due to its huge potential, so I'm really looking forward to seeing more studies backing up some of these results. Okay, paper 12, the last in this section before we zoom out and appreciate the aggregates in the broader context of disease. It's titled Deep Red Blinking Fluorophore for Nanoscopic Imaging and Inhibition of Beta Amyloid Peptide Fibrillation. It's by first author Marr and last author Zhao. The journal is ACS-nano. Amyloid beta aggregation plays yet undetermined roles in Alzheimer's disease, inspiring studies closely examining amyloid beta assembly, particularly at the nanoscopic level. The authors employ a monocyanin-fluorophore lead compound and synthesize a range of carbazole-based cyanin-fluorophore derivatives capable of binding with and imaging amyloid beta fibrils. One of these derivatives strongly bound to amyloid-beta-40 fibrils, produced a strong signal, could be efficiently switched on and off, and could potently inhibit amyloid-beta-40 fibrillation in real-time in cell-free assays and reduce aggregate toxicity against PC-12 cells. The authors suggests that the fluorophore may be useful as an imaging tool and aid in the development of drugs targeting fibrillogenesis. Our last two papers consider relationships between aggregates, The pattern of amyloid burden and their correlation to cognitive decline. Our penultimate paper, paper 13, is titled Hippocampal Subfield Pathologic Burden in Lewy Body Diseases versus Alzheimer's Disease. It's by first author Cochlin and last author Irwin. It can be found in the journal Neuropathology and Applied Neurobiology. The existence of Alzheimer's disease pathology in Lewy body diseases suggests a relationship between amyloid beta, tau, and alpha synuclein in disease pathogenesis. The authors autopsied Lewy body disease brains with minimal or no Alzheimer's disease co-pathology, Lewy body disease brains with moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease pathology, and compared the levels of alpha synuclein, tau, and amyloid beta against pure Alzheimer's disease patient brain tissue. They consistently observed alpha-synuclein in the Ca2 and Ca3 hippocampal subfield of the Lewy body disease patients with and without amyloid beta and tau copathology. Amyloid beta burden and distribution seemed similar for Lewy body disease with copathology and Alzheimer's disease, but a more diverse pattern formed for tau. In Alzheimer's disease cases, total tau levels were higher than both Lewy body disease groups and predominantly affected the CA1 subfield of the hippocampus, the subiculum and the entorhinal cortex, whereas tau pathology in both LPD groups was greater in the CA2 and CA3 hippocampal regions and correlated with the degree of alpha-synuclein pathology. The extent of tau hippocampal pathology in the CA2 and CA3 subfields inversely correlated with memory deficits seen antimortem mortem in the Lewy body disease patients. The authors conclude that this unique pattern of alpha-synuclein and tau delineates Alzheimer's disease from Lewy body diseases and may underpin the episodic memory dysfunction associated with Lewy body disease. This is a really interesting paper, so make sure to check it out online. And finally, our last paper, paper 14, is titled The Coarse Grain Plaque. A Divergent Amyloid Beta Plaque Type in Early-Onset Alzheimer's Disease, by first author Boone and last author Hoosman, published in Acta Neuropathologica. Coarse-grain plaques are among the unusual Amyloid Beta deposits in Alzheimer's disease and their appearance may be linked to observed Alzheimer's disease symptoms. The authors set out to discern the relationship between the levels and structure of these coarse-grain plaques. And the severity of clinical Alzheimer's disease presentation observed antimortem. They obtained middle frontal gyrus post mortem tissue from 15 amyloid beta positive non demented cases, 38 early onset Alzheimer's disease cases, and 21 later Alzheimer's disease cases, and compared this with the brain tissue from other regions. The authors defined the observed coarse-grained plaques as big approximately 80 micrometer aggregates with multiple, predominantly amyloid beta 40 cores, but also amyloid beta devoid pores. They also found that coarse-grained plaques prominently featured in the right middle frontal gyrus in cases with anti diagnosed dementia and more so in early onset Alzheimer's disease than late. The plaques correlated strongly with neuroinflammation and were almost always seen in close proximity to the vasculature. In fact, the coarse-grained plaques frequented only cases with cerebral amyloid angiopathy and correlated strongly with neuroinflammation and blood vessel damage. Further links were made to the ApoE4 allele status. The authors conclude that the coarse-grain plaques may be phenotypic or specific subtypes of early onset Alzheimer's disease, concomitant with inflammation and vascular damage, and point to a better understanding of the role of these plaques in the development of Alzheimer's disease treatments. It would really be interesting to find out the role of these plaques, especially as amyloid beta 42 always gets all the attention and amyloid beta 40 seems to be the main component of these plaques. I've omitted a lot of details in this paper's abstract so do check out the full paper if you're interested in all the details. And that's all folks, bit of a longer one but thank you for tuning in, I hope you found it useful and remember to check out the episode details for more information and to get access to the numbered bibliography. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date with the latest episode releases. Here's a quick shout out to Anusha Kamesh for the music on this podcast, you can find her on Soundcloud under her name, or on YouTube under AK Music. Also, I'd like to thank Ellen for helping me sort these episodes, Sarah for reviewing my script, and Yvonne for editing this recording. Oh, and let's not forget the rest of the people at Aminder who volunteer their time to make this podcast possible. We hope to have you back here soon, until next time.